Um, I thought I'd take a seat tonight just to, as a stool, kind of to have a conversation. Is that all right? Because we're starting this brand new series uh, tonight uh, for the next couple of weeks. And so uh, bear with me. We haven't done this particular topic on dating for nine years. And of course, the next generation's coming through and it's exciting. And uh, I don't, I'm just, just, not just talking to young people either here tonight. I'm thankful the parents have come along and uh, aunties and uncles are, uh, are here tonight to kind of um, to, to learn, to lean in and to learn um, uh, f- from uh, the particular topic we're talking about tonight. I'm also going to be honest with you and let you know that we won't finish um, this particular topic tonight. I'm going to take it into next week and um, we're going to finish it off next week. And so uh, dating, sexuality and marriage, we may not get to marriage by the way. We'll certainly get into the sex topic in a couple of weeks time. But tonight I want to read from Proverbs chapter 30. But before I do, I'm going to invite you to take out your smartphones or um, notepads and pens and we're going to get straight into this. What a great start tonight from the team. And uh, we're going to get straight into this. And um, I'm going to read from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 18 to 19, which uh, it'll be also on the screen if uh, you don't have a smartphone or your Bible with you, that's fine. Um, uh, And I also just want to quickly speak into uh, the lives of those who may be here tonight who are exploring the Christian faith. You are here and may have been invited along by a friend. First of all, welcome. It's great to have you. I'm looking from a a, a biblical perspective uh, in regards to dating tonight. And so once again, lean in with us. There are many things here to learn one from each other. Um, Also, uh, before I do uh, read from Proverbs chapter 30, if you've got your Bibles, feel free to go there. Um, uh, My girlfriend is here tonight who I've been dating for 24 years I think it is and so uh, <laughs> of course she's more than a girlfriend and I haven't I haven't stopped dating her uh, which is something I will get into during the marriage series probably in the morning and we might get into a little bit of this later on um, and so uh, it's great to have Karen here we won't go into the story how we started um, but uh, 21 years later, we are married, uh, and we've, we started going out, I think, a couple of years before that, and um, uh, two children's later, the rest is history. All right, there are three things. Have we got that on the screen? <clears throat> yeah? There are three things that are too amazing for me, the writer says, four that I do not understand. Think about each one of these, if you could, just for a moment. He says, the way of an eagle in the sky. I don't know about you. Have you ever looked up and seen uh, like an eagle or a hawk? I know you probably don't see a lot of eagles around our area, probably more up in the mountains, yeah? Have you ever seen that? I understand what the writer is saying. The way of an eagle in the sky goes on. The way of a snake on a rock. How it kind of slithers on a rock, yeah? It's amazing how these creatures operate. The way of a ship on the high seas. Is it just me? Yeah? How you see these ships and these, these, uh, these aeroplanes up in this. How, does, how do they do that? And so the writer's amazed. The way of a ship on the high seas. And here we go. The way of a man with a young woman. There are three things that are too amazing for me. Four that I do not understand. The way love works is an absolute mystery. We've called this series The Myth and Miracle of dating, sexuality, and marriage. And so it is a real miracle. It's an absolute miracle. John Ortberg puts it this way. He says, that on the screen, outside of your commitment to God, making a lifetime commitment to another human being is the most important decision many people will make. Yet how many of us have ever really been 
uh, been trained in how we make this decision. I asked the team before in prayer, have you ever been taught in how to make the decision of choosing your future partner spouse? And there was a lot of giggles and things like that going on. I understand because we're just not. We're not given a lot of education in regards to this particular topic. But believe it or not, the Bible, God's Word, has a lot to say about this. So we're going to start from the book of Mark. Um, that's in the New Testament. And, and Jesus is sharing this and he's quoting the book of Genesis. He's going right back and he says, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be, what? Be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. If we just keep that up there for a moment, because let's have a look into what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is reminding his listeners that in the original design of the human race, that there was there was this intent that a man and woman would be drawn together by a force powerful enough to cause them to leave their families. And back in those days, it was a massive deal. And it still is in our days, believe it or not, today. And to make this commitment to a partner for life. And so Jesus was addressing this. Over these next couple of Sundays... I'd like to bring six major areas of life. I've called them compatibilities. And I hope uh, will help um, you think of uh, ways that you would choose your future spouse and how you would make that selection. Now, I realize that having a spouse is not for everyone um, in our future. I realize that for whatever reason that might be. Or that you would, at least with this information that we're going to receive here tonight and next week, you would advise others. You would help advise others in how maybe they are to select a spouse. Am I an expert in this? Let me be very clear. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm the pastor, one of the pastors, one of the ministry team here at Door of Hope. And I have a heart to share with you wisdom. I've only been married 21 years. Some of you, like Bianca's grandparents, have been married for 56 years. A lot of wisdom there. So I'm just bringing the wisdom that Karen and I have connected with about, you know, over the years in regards to this particular topic. And so I'd like to share this with you. So we kind of asked that question, will I ever get married? And if I do, who is it going to be? And so, as I said, the Bible says a lot. Proverbs chapter 12, 26 says that the righteous choose their friends carefully. The righteous choose their friends carefully. But the way of the wicked leads them astray. And so, if I'm supposed to choose my friends carefully, how much more am I meant to be careful in choosing my life partner. Now, notice the word in this particular verse where it says that you choose. The righteous choose. Uh, this is a choice that you have. God does not do this for you. And so because of this series is called The Myth and Miracle of Dating, Sex, and Marriage, I'm going to talk about um, a couple of myths for a moment. Is that all right? 
Yeah? It goes like this. The first myth I want to bust here tonight is that God chooses my spouse for me. Yeah, have a think. I've been working on this for eight months. All right, have a think. You know, you've got um, a few minutes to think about this. Let me explain what I mean. This myth is certainly being busted. God chooses my spouse for me. As I said, let's go back to that proverb, uh, Proverbs chapter 12. It's your decision. It's your choice. And ultimately, it's your responsibility. God will not write in the sky, marry Harry. <laughs> okay? Uh, or marry Carrie. All right? He's just not going to do that. What God does, in fact, he leads us, yeah? He guides us and he gives us guidelines, but ultimately, ultimately, it is your choice. God will not tell you who to marry, but he does give you a description of that particular, that kind of person that he desires for you to marry. He gives you a description. And so myth number one is that God will not choose my spouse for me. Ultimately, it is your choice, but he will help guide you in that. Myth number two, let's go to the next one, that there is only one right person for me. This is romantic, but it's not true. Why? Let me explain. There are seven billion people in this world. Now, it's not overly romantic. It's not only romantic, but it's not biblical. It's not even logical. You see, if there was only one right person for everybody in this world, it would only take one person to make a wrong decision to break that chain for everybody else. And so it's romantic, but it's a total myth. This idea of soulmate, you hear that wording a little bit, and I'm, I'm more than happy for you to disagree me on, with me on this, by the way. In terms of the soulmate idea, Karen and I talk about this a fair bit, because what if you married your soulmate... And all of a sudden, your soulmate died. All of a sudden, you go looking for somebody else, and all of a sudden, they're not my soulmate, so they're second best. And so your soulmate has gone to heaven. You know what I mean? What I'm trying to get at here is that you've got to be careful with your language, you would, because I do not believe that there is only one right person for you. There are multiple people that you could be so happily married too. Now, of course, there'd be millions of people that I don't think God would give you his approval in marrying. But there are multiple people that you could have a, a, a healthy, long-life relationship with. Once again, I see you staring me, at me like deer in a headlights. And so that's okay. Process this. Talk about this amongst yourselves in Connect Group this next week. Myth number three. <laughs> Love alone is a good enough reason to get married. Love alone is a good enough reason to get married. I'm going to talk about this a whole lot more, but it takes a whole lot of other things other than just love. I am in love with you to choose your life partner. What I mean by this, let me just quickly explain, and I'm going to go this later on. For example, family background your family background, your spiritual background, your own personalities, your education, your energy, your ambition, your desires for the future, your values, your goals. But we love each other. Just because you love someone doesn't mean you should get married. All right? Hang in there. Hang in there. We've got two weeks at this. All right? Hang in there. Keep staring at me. We've got... <laughs> 
And so tonight, I just want to share with you a bare minimum requirements um, in regards to these compatibilities that are very important, but I would like you to also add to this list your experiences as you grow in this as well. I also want to share with you that this is not my opinion, uh, these next few points. Um, uh, this is from the Bible. These are what God, I believe, encourages us in these six basic compatibilities that Christians need to pay a lot of attention to if they're serious about building a relationship that lasts. Let me just pray. Father, we just, uh, just press pause just in this moment of time and we just acknowledge your presence here with us, that you would lead us and guide us in this new, se in this new series. Help us, Father, we pray, to see what you see. And as we open your word, I pray that it would, be, it would be a fresh and living word to each and every single heart. May it be your voice that we hear in and through everything that we're going to hear. And I pray that maybe we would, you would nudge us, that you would um, convict us and draw us closer to you. And may we find a fresh sense of connection to you and to one another. Help us to know what you want for our future, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Six basic compatibilities. Let's start right now. The first one is this. Is that we must have spiritual compatibility. Spiritual compatibility. This means that we believe the same thing about God. If you do not have, I'm going to go as far to say, if you do not have spiritual compatibility as somebody who follows Jesus, if you do not have that with your, um, somebody you're dating and potentially going into the future with, I'm going to go as far to say, and I don't hold back on things like these these days, is that you will never go, you're never going to enjoy the depth of relationship that God desires for your marriage. You see, God designed marriage it's like if I could pretend, we could pretend we had a three-legged stool, you know, those three-legged kind of stools, um, as God, um, husband, and wife. And you take one of those legs away, you take him away from that, right, that marriage, it's kind of like it's, it's going to quickly, easily fall over. And so we're going to be careful of that. Paul says to the church in Corinth, chapter 6, verse 14, he says, don't become partners with those who reject God. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Just press Paul. Let me explain this just for a moment. He's not saying don't do life with those who are different to you. Of course, Scripture is very clear that Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus was a friend of those who did not believe in him and what he was about. But once you accept what Jesus has done for you, it changes your life in an incredible way, the way you um, uh, uh, use your finances, the way you do relationships, uh, the way you think about your future, the way you think about your past. And so it changes you in incredible ways. And so this is an agricultural metaphor, what Paul's saying here, this idea of um, do not be yoked together with an unbeliever. Because what he's trying to say is that um, uh, yoked together is about influence. And you want to have influence together, moving together. When you yoke together, you are committed to move together in the same direction. In other words, if, I, if you don't have that spiritual compatibility, how can you be unified in any other way? What Paul is saying 
is that don't get hooked up with someone who will lead you away from what matters to you the most. You try having conversations with somebody who does not agree with you, like what you like or love, coming home of an evening and all of a sudden you want to talk about that what God is doing in your life and all of a sudden they don't want to even know about that. I think that's what Paul is saying, just to be very careful in not being yoked up with somebody who's not moving in that same direction if, as, as you. Now if I was to stand on this edge of this stage just for a moment, is it easier for you to pull me down or is it easier for me to pull you up? It's easier, correct, it's easier for you to pull me down, yeah? And that's how relationships occur. It's easier to pull me down. It's easier to pull you down. I think what Paul is, is saying here. Romans chapter 1, Paul writes to the church, he says, I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me, and my faith will help you. And that's what God wants to do in a marriage. So the first compatibility talking about tonight is what? Is spiritual compatibility. The second one, let's move on to the second one, and it's this. It's life purpose compatibility. If I was to ask you this question, what is your life purpose? At a younger age, you generally don't really know. As you grow and mature, you start to figure out how I am wired, how I work, what God's doing and done in my life to set me in a, a, a particular direction. So can you answer the question, why is it that God has put you on this planet and where are you headed in life? What's my mission? What's the vision? What's the preferred picture of that future that produces passion within me? What's my calling or even what is my vocation? And until you know those answers, I'm going to say it straight. I'm going to say a lot of things straight tonight. Until you know those answers in your life, don't get married. Why? Because you cannot know, you cannot select your spouse well unless you know yourself well. And so get to know who God's created you to be and to do even. Um, can I encourage you, by the way, to read a book um, that was written many years ago, but it's still around, it's still selling very, very well. It's called The Purpose Driven Life. It's by Pastor Rick Warren, runs a church in California. Fantastic book. I even, every now and then, open it up and have a read myself. The Purpose Driven Life by Rick, uh, by Rick Warren. Because instead of um, finding Mr. Right, we settle for Mr. Right now. And that can be a little dangerous. Amos chapter 3, minor prophet Amos chapter 3 verse 3 says, Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? And of course the answer to that is, well, no. You see, if you have a purpose for your life that way, and the other person has a purpose for their life that way, it just is not going to meet in the middle because there's just going to be so much conflict going on. <sighs> I'm doing some work with a couple outside of the church in the community at the moment who've sought help. And they got married, didn't really know each other a whole lot. And all of a sudden, they didn't do pre-marriage counseling and they didn't really know each other. But once again, they were in love. They were in love. And so she's going that way. 
And he's going that way. And they've made these sacred commitments to each other. And it's conflict after conflict, and we're trying to work that out together. What else is a tragic when you start to think about these life purposes and different directions is that to know your purpose in life and to know that you are missing out. When you start to hook up with somebody who's going in that particular direction and you know they're going in that direction, but you're going in this direction, but being pulled in that direction, and you know your purpose in life is not in that direction, you are missing it. It's absolute tragedy. You see, when your purpose is aligned, there's an enormous power and an enormous energy and fulfillment and God wants to unite you together to do something significant for his glory. And I'm married to somebody like that. Now, we had to figure that out. All of a sudden, we met. Here I am called to Bible College up in Sydney. And um, uh, we're going out. We weren't engaged at that particular time. <laughs> and uh, I, I said you know, you, you're coming with me, right? She said, absolutely. Absolutely. We got in this together. We were united in purpose together. Did Karen do Bible college while I was, while I was there? No. She wasn't called to Bible college, but she knew, we, we, we knew, moving together, we were called for a purpose bigger than ourselves, but we knew we were called together. Once again, I know this is complex, can be complex because I know there's so many questions coming in regards to that particular statement, but it worked for us and we're thankful for that and it works for many, but to, to unite together to do something significant for his glory. So that's point two. We're doing all right? Life, purpose, compatibility. I want to move on just to the fourth and final myth just under this particular point um, because we've been told for many years this. <laughs> opposites attract. Um, let me kind of say this in regards to this particular point. The research is very clear. I've been doing a lot of reading for the last eight months on this of um, Dr. Neil Clark Warren's book called Finding the Love of Your Life. And it's really helped me understand a number of these things. Uh, he's a, a theologian, uh, writer, pastor, uh, and co-founder of eHarmony. I think that still exists. Um, and so, uh, yeah, incredible man. And so he's, he's, he's put a lot of research in this, and it's clear that every similarity in a couple that gets married in life, sorry, that gets married is like money in the bank and increases the odds of a successful marriage. What he's talking about here is common values, common ideas, um, uh, common interests, Similar energy and ambition, this is what I talked about at the start. Um, ideas about family, ideas about raising children. Um, but of course, can I just press pause and say this? Karen and I have been married for 21 years. There, is, there are a lot of opposites in our own relationship. You see, here's the deal. Two people will always have some differences, all right? Let's be honest just for a moment if we could. There, of course, financial differences. You think about that. Um, he wants to go and buy a boat. This is not us two, by the way. He wants to go and buy a boat. She wants to do some room, room um, renovations at home, all right? These are some of the differences. Recreational differences. He wants to go fishing, and she wants to travel. You see, the more similarities that we have, 
the more chances we have of success for our future. So once again, similarities are what? Are like what? Similarities are like money in the bank, yet differences are like debt that we owe. Neil Clark Warren, once again, he says, it's okay to owe a few debts as long as you have plenty of equity in your account. But if you don't have a lot of similarities, but you have a lot of differences, they require a whole lot of negotiating, adapting, and compromising that eventually saps the strength of your marriage. What's the first compatibility, remember? Spiritual, very good. And the second one, life purpose, fantastic. Let's go on to the third non-negotiable, and it's this. That we must both be emotionally healthy. Emotionally healthy. I did not say emotionally perfect, all right? Because <laughs> we're all broken. The Bible's very clear that we are all fall short, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of our God. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm broken and so are you. Yeah? Yeah? Just have a chat for a moment. Say to them once again, but that's okay. God loves you. <laughs> Fantastic. And so, under this point, we must both be emotionally healthy. I married a sinner. <laughs> But guess what? She married a bigger sinner. <laughs> and I know theologically that's not correct. We are both sinners, all right? So I just wanted to clear that up. You see, two imperfect people cannot make a perfect marriage, right? We cannot make a perfect relationship out of two imperfect people. Studies are very clear, once again, on this, that 80%, did you get that? 80% of divorces... Um, well, one or both partners were emotionally unhealthy. All right, Steve, what do you mean by emotionally unhealthy? All right, uh, uh, maybe just a couple of things if I could mention just for a moment. It's this, that uncontrolled anger, you bring that into a relationship, it just digs deeper and deeper into splitting that relationship apart. Addictions, and of course, there are so many addictions we could talk about. Alcohol, drugs, video games, <laughs> spending money, gambling, Netflix, pornography. These kind of addictions that come into our lives uh, make us emotionally emotionally unhealthy, bitterness, selfishness, greed, lying. If, these, if, there, if there are qualities about your potential spouse that you don't like, ask yourself this question. Can I live with these qualities for the rest of my life if they never change in this person? If the answer is no, guess what I'm going to say? Don't get married. The two ultimate signs, by the way, the two ultimate signs of uh, uh, emotional health is generosity and kindness. Generosity and kindness. If you have those two things in each other, that's a foundation for building something special. Um, so that's the third, third non-negotiable. What is it? To be emotionally healthy, all right? The fourth one is this. Strong character. Strong character. What I mean by this is you have to know what lies beneath the exterior. You have to know what lies beneath the surface. Appearance is only so much. People can cover up so much and lie about certain things. The, the Bible puts it this way, that the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. 1 Samuel 16. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord... He looks at the heart. 
you know when you have friends and they start going out with someone and you haven't met them? What's the first thing you ask them? The first thing you generally ask is, well, what do they look like? Because looks are important. They are, by the way, and I'll get into that eventually next week. But it's not everything. And also, what do they do? What do they look like? And what do they do for a living? We do no heart check. We don't go any deeper than surface level. But what we've got to realize that beyond the exterior, there is this long, complicated, sometimes, story that has to be unpacked and thoroughly processed before you really have a clue who that person really is. Okay, let's go a little bit deeper if we could. What are the things that we need to look out for beyond just the surface, that we need to check? The first thing we need to check is family background. This, was a ref- this is what I was referring to before. What's their family background? By the way, can I just press pause here and just say, this is where Karen and I had a little bit of a difference that we knew because we did premarital counselling, which is important, and we as a church will not marry anybody if they do not do premarriage counselling, for obvious reasons, um, that we got into uh, marriage and all of a sudden we had to start talking about our family background because there are certain things that Karen would or wouldn't do and we wouldn't do with, would and wouldn't do with my family. I won't go into too much. But the family background kind of not affected us, but kind of like was highlighted for us early on in our marriage that we had to sort out and to work out because people tend to view marriage in light of what they viewed their parents' marriage. Many women, believe it or not, not everyone, many women tend to marry someone a lot like their own father. So much of a person's identity is connected to their family of origin, their character. Their self-esteem was formed in their family, but sometimes, unfortunately, so was abuse and violence also occurred in that. So you have to dig deep and find out maybe a bit about the family background. Um, Brokenness is another thing. Brokenness. What were the scars from the past? Because they have a way of sneaking up and sneaking into a relationship and become destructive. And if there's any unresolved issues that need to be resolved, I'll do a little bit of homework because research tells us this. People almost never get over major traumas in their life. People almost never get over major traumas in their life. And what's happened in the past, they bring not just into the present but they take into their future and they haven't been resolved and there's hurt and there's a whole lot of trauma that starts to unfold in relation. So, look beneath the surface of the abs, of the glutes, of the pecs, of the biceps, of the legs and of the eyes. (laughs) Look to the character. Look beneath the surface. What do they talk about? What are they telling the truth? Is there mutual giving and sharing Are you serving others? This is a biggie. How do they treat their parents? 
Are they nice only to those who are important or affluent or who can benefit them? Or are they also concerned about the forgotten and the marginalized? Do you feel encouraged and affirmed by them? Once again, it's important, I'm just stressing the point here, to look beneath the surface. Keep processing this, keep working this through, um, because one of the frequent commands, we've already mentioned it earlier in the night, to be careful in choosing who you'll be closest to because they will be the primary shapers of the person that you become. And so you've got to ask the question, who is it that I want to become? Proverbs 13, 20 says this, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. I'm going to get a little bit vulnerable just here for a moment. Hang with me. When I met Karen, my wife of 21 years, 24 years partnership, I thought she was the most beautiful girl in the world. And she is still. But one of the things I was so attracted to her life by was her character. I love, and I still do today, I love her character. You know, when you get hurt, you know, in the past there may have been something that's come up in a relationship or whatever, and it's kind of like, well, that's not me. I don't behave the way you treated me. And that happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to some of you as well. And I chose, well, first of all, it wasn't me. And I didn't want to treat anyone the way that I was treated. And so what I fell in love with in my own wife to today, that she was committed to me and that she was moving forward with me. She wasn't looking left or right. And I still trust that today. And she'd have to come up here and share her story, but I think it's the same for her. Um, trust is a pretty big thing in a relationship. But where I'm coming from, once again, is that character. I could see the God-formed character in my own future wife's life that I knew she wasn't going to put me through hell and that she could trust me that I also wasn't going to put her through that either. Um, <clears throat> so in my view, in my view, thanks for listening, in my view, if there's any serious breach of character in any kind of dating relationship, it needs to be flagged, it needs to be penalized, it needs to be discussed, and it needs to be resolved. And so explore each other's story, especially the painful parts, to find out what has been hurt, but also to explore what hasn't been healed yet. What hasn't been healed in two words, go slow. Go slow in a relationship. I always say, and some of you are going to disagree, and that's okay. I always say a minimum of 12 months. A minimum of 12 months before you make any major commitment to each other. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to take on board. Adults, can you help me out here? Can you just give me a bit of a wave? Is this resonating? Is this, thank you, thank you. Okay, we're on the same page here, adults. Thank you so much for your help there. So we've got spiritual, nearly done, nearly done. Spiritual compatibility, life purpose compatibility, emotional health, and strong character. Very good. Somebody's listening. Strong character. I hope we're taking notes here. I always used to take notes when I was a, a young man because I wanted to learn, I wanted to grow, I wanted to take this away with me and to, to process myself. The fifth and final thing for this evening is communication. Uh, I don't know if we've got time for this. Um, you sure? 
Communication. This is the fifth and final thing, and I'll move on to next week. But Neil Clark Warren, I'll move through quickly. To the extent, he says this, it's on the screen. To the extent to which two people can engage each other in truthful, soulful, gracious conversation is perhaps the single greatest determiner of the health and sustainability of a, of a relationship. Listen up. Can I give you a tip? Marry a person who you can talk all night long with without having to get involved sexually with. The reason I say that is because when you get married, it's not even 50-50. It's a lot of talking going on. It's a lot less sex than you realize, all right? And so just being open and honest with you, I know married couples kind of go, Steve's right. And so, uh, (laughs) because you're going to talk a whole lot more then you're going to have sex. And it's okay, we're going to talk about that, all right? We're going to start getting the lid off of that kind of embarrassment about that topic. But we're going to talk about that in weeks to come. And so uh, um, studies show studies show that a marriage that is built to last has to have two-way transparent communication. Most men, most guys, we struggle with this more than women do. We're not good at this. Women tend to be better at conversation, maybe, than men. Uh, Maybe it's because of this, but on average, a guy speaks... I don't know if these figures are right. You might know better deals than this. Um, A guy speaks 25,000 words a day, but on average, a woman speaks 50,000 words a day. Right, I'm a bloke, all right? Believe it or not, I'm a man, I'm a man, right? And I come home, I'm a a communicator also, and I come home and... I mumble my way through an evening sometimes, and it's not easy. That's why Karen and I have established a date night for a long time, even when our children were young. We committed to not be child-centered, not to be a child-centered marriage, even though we love our children dearly. But we knew that we've got 18, 19, 20 years, hopefully a little bit less, no offense, um, <laughs> with, with them at home, but we've got to keep our relationship alive and burning, right? Yeah. And so um, we go on a date night. I mean, in fact, we don't uh, each and every week. We go on date breakfast or date lunch. It can be quite expensive. And so we go on a date breakfast or date lunch of a Friday. We have Fridays and Saturdays off together where we sit across the table and we look at one another and we talk, phones aside, and we talk to one another and we love one another over and over again. And we talk about what's, what's important and what's not and what's, what's on the list this week and... Uh, and we just talk. We do life together because we wanted a marriage-centered based, uh, a, a, a marriage relationship-based marriage, if you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, man, I've got to move on. Um, I won't. I'll just finish with this. Can I just finish with this and say there are two things the way God's wired men and women. I think we gave the book this morning. Um, uh, it's called Love and Respect. Love and Respect. But here are two things. Can we put this up on the screen, please? This is key, guys. If we get this, get this. Um, this, is what, this is exactly what she wants to know. She wants to know, do you love me? He wants to know, do you believe in me? You will never find a card in a card shop um, from a husband to a wife that says, honey, I respect you. Because it's not like that for her. She needs to hear and know that she is loved. And us guys need to know that you believe in us. Here's why. 
a, a male's ego is a lot more fragile and weak than you realize. And if anyone, if any guy thinks anything less than that, he is lying. A man's ego is a lot more fragile and weak than you realize. So what I'm trying to say is pump us up. <laughs> pump him up. Pump him up. Speak life into him. Can I just give this final advice just before I pray and invite the team? Feel free, team, come up now. Um, guys, pursue her with affection. Oh, non-sexual affection. I might need to say that a bit slower. <laughs> non-sexual affection. Pursue her with affection. Um, she needs it, and it, br- it brings about in her life tremendous value. But uh, on the other side, ladies, pursue him with words of affirmation because he is becoming who you see him to be. Try not to tell him what he's not. It's so defeating for a guy. Once again, do you believe in him? Build him up. Those five things, let's take those into our week. We're about to stand, I think, in a moment and sing, but let me just pray for us as we wrap this part one up and we go into week two next week. In fact, can we, can we stand? Is that all right? Can we stand? Let me pray for us. Father, I just want to thank you as we've talked openly and honestly here tonight. I thank you for the gift of love, for the gift of marriage. And Father, I pray for our future's sake. I pray that not one person would take this lightly from what we've heard here tonight, that we would process what this means for us. Lord, if I've said something that it's called shame or condemnation. That's not been my heart. May that just fall to the ground in whoever's life that would be here tonight. I pray that for all of us, we would make that commitment to your standards, to honor your words in this area of our lives. And I pray that we make wise decisions and be open to what you want to do in our lives and our relationships. That we'd have ears to hear the whispers of heaven over our future. We want to follow your design and your desire for our lives. You are in control, so be in control now of our decisions and our lives, and we entrust them to you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen.